Welcome to this week's episode of The Versatile Writer with me, Sarah Bannum. This week, I'd like to talk about rewriting and analysis. Originally, this episode was going to carry the title of rewriting and nothing else, but because of what you'll hear today, I believe analysis has earned its place. I'm going to look quite deeply into one specific novel I wrote during this episode of The Versatile Writer because I believe if I'm contemplating rewriting and analysing a novel, then chances are you are, or have, or may be about to as well. Therefore, perhaps we can learn from each other. Let's break it down. Rewriting is a form of editing. It's something writers do to give the whole story an overhaul. And this might be done for several reasons. It could be that the tone is wrong for the intended audience. Maybe the story needs to be slowed down or the pace increased. It might be that the story lost its way and fell apart somewhere in the middle, thus making the end okay rather than great. Maybe the characters weren't fully developed, leaving fairly wooden people running around your story when real 3D people with backstories, lives, goals and personality traits that they act upon could be instead. A lot of these could boil down to the bare bones of just one reason. Maybe it was down to a lack of time to reach deadline, lack of writing experience on the side of the author, or even lack of interest in the story. The idea of write it and get it out so I can move on to something more interesting instead. It's often only after the story has left the author that the glaringly obvious is noticed, or even that time has moved on and things like technology that was mentioned in the story have changed, or even parts of society were included that are now not socially acceptable. Things like that can alter the reader's experience to the point that they could well leave a poor review. Sure, a poor review isn't the end of the world, but it's always nicer to garner a better review where possible. Ideally, rewriting should be done before publication, if only to stop any embarrassment or glitches when it's out there. However, there are times when, like I'm going to talk about today, where rewriting is, is possibly the only way forwards after a book has already been out there for some time. As most of my podcasts have a section that begin, let's go back and look at whatever, this episode is no different. <laughs> History and background have a lot to do with our present day decisions because they provide context and experience. So, about 15 years ago, when self-publishing was beginning its current revolution, I'd written a book called Dicing with Danger. It was the kind of book I wanted to read but couldn't find anywhere. So, as they always say, if you can't find the book you want to read, write it yourself. So I did. It wasn't the first novel I'd ever written, but it does remain a landmark book for me. Why? Because, number one, it was the first book I'd ever self-published. Number two, I self-published it just after a landmark birthday, my 40th. Number three, during its launch at a bookstore in Essex, UK, I met several other authors, one of whom has become a lifelong friend. Number four, Irritatingly, the occupation of that lifelong friend would have been useful to know before I published Dicing with Danger, especially when it came to research. And number five, the effort, time and energy of writing that book was one thing, but the effort, time and energy of taking that step into the wide unknown world of self-publishing was a huge leap of faith. However, while all that is fairly symbolic, 
It also highlights how important to me it was to publish my work. As I said, I'd written several novels by this time, in around 2007, and rather than piling them all up in a desk drawer, it seemed perfectly reasonable to get them out there in the world instead. At the time of publishing that book, I was working full-time in the mental health industry, but personally, I was going through some tough, depressive times. My self-confidence was somewhere between very low and trying really hard to be noticed for writing. In fact, most of my energy was going into writing. Self-publishing had now become a thing that enabled writers to take control of their careers. It was empowering, despite a constant dismissive view from some, taking the stance of, how good could your writing be if you chose to self-publish rather than getting an agent? Despite this, so many of us got our books out there. It was exciting and it was incredible. For me, I felt if I didn't publish then, I might never. Might the opportunity arise again? Might the revolution of self-publishing stop as quickly as it started? If this was to be the case, I wanted my book out there to ride its wave before the wave crashed. And aside from that, why shouldn't I have a taste of authorship? Don't forget, at this point, there was no Amazon to publish your books as we know it now. That didn't begin in 2009. Ebooks were not popular until 2010, and it took quite a time for both readers and writers to feel like they could trust both Amazon and ebooks. I even recall a few years after that when presenting my radio show and having a discussion about ebooks versus tree books. Not whether they worked well together, but simply starting the discussion with a versus question, so it wasn't either or or. Over time, I realised that the two worked well together because books are mostly about the reader, not the writer. After all, that's who we're writing for. It's not really about us as writers at all. It's about the reader, the reader's experience and the story, and hopefully the writer's got it all put together properly. At the time, there was so much to learn about self-publishing. After you got over the initial question of, is it right for me or is it right for my book? There were other questions of, how the heck do I do it? There were a handful of startup businesses who set themselves up to publish a book. Clearly, some of these were what we know to be vanity publishers, eager to take your money and yield very little, while some were authentic business people. At the time, in my spare time, I was the events organiser at a writing group and arranged the manager of one of these companies to come and talk to my group. Of the 20 or so writers at the group, a good six or seven were looking to write their own and potentially self-publish, whether they had submitted to literary agents or not. A lot of people realised that self-publishing meant they could keep all the money they were going to earn through the sales of their books and, essentially, take control of their careers. So this manager came along to talk to my group and it was clear after about 30 minutes of him speaking that he was still learning the ropes himself to this idea of self-publishing. Self-publishing was, for the first few years, a tsunami of continually changing, ever-evolving information. Some things worked, some things didn't. You either got involved, got involved and kept up with it, or you didn't take any notice of it at all and waited for it to plateau. I was in the first category because I was still so in love with print books. Originally, I had just 100 copies printed and from there I launched the book at a bookshop's local author evening. I gave talks on my experiences with creative writing and writing this novel and I spoke at other places including library events. I did a, bu a few book signings too. 
I'd released the book at the end of October in time for the Christmas take-up and most of the copies went during this time. The remainder went over time at spring craft fairs, stately homes, summer events and book fairs. I was left with approximately five copies. I've now got just three. One is a display copy and might be considered a little tattered around the edges and the other two were handwritten inside as gifts to my husband and daughter. At the time, I didn't and couldn't see anything wrong with my novel. And, in essence, there is nothing wrong with it. It is of its time. But time moves on. It's only with time and experience I've come to see that it needs rewriting if it is to be republished for a modern audience. Or does it? Around this time, Ally was formed. That's the Alliance of Independent Authors. It's a brilliant community of indie authors who provide support for each other. You can find out more about it by going to www.allianceindependentauthors.org. One of the things I've picked up from one of their podcasts was from Orna Ross, the director and founder. Responding to a question similar to the content of this week's podcast, asked whether or not we ought to rewrite our backlist. Essentially, the answer was no, move on. Yet this dilemma is still bugging them. And that's what I'm looking at today. Now, let's read the synopsis. It reads, Meet the Vice President's daughter, Genevieve Dicing. Spoiled, cynical, self-absorbed and patronising. Meet Detective Casey Pitt. Attractive, sexy, focused and protective. Their first meeting during Genevieve's kidnapping and subsequent rescue ends with tragedy. Their second meeting, two years later, begins with fireworks. Dicing with Danger is a fast-paced action-adventure that takes you to the Hollywood Hills and beyond. Find out what it means to rely on somebody you just don't trust. Right, so my intention is to update it for a modern audience and modern publishing formats. However, taking a 15-year-old synopsis and rewriting it for a 2021 audience feels like a huge endeavour and a massive commitment, especially when the words move on are still in my mind. I have to ask myself, why did I want to republish it? And the answers were plentiful. Number one, it's a book I mentioned a lot in my talks because it was the first I'd published. Number two, because it's mentioned a lot, many people want to and have asked to read it, but it's unavailable. Number three, it would look good having that available to buy and also mentioned on my website. It is very much a part of my writing career after all. Lastly, because it was a story that was born from a dream. A literal dream, that is. One that was altered to fit a logical sequence of events. Something that dreams never seem to do. I give talks and mention in social media how useful our dream life can be when looking for writing prompts. As this is a prime example, it makes sense to have copies available to buy. But if we begin to pick apart each sentence of the synopsis, and even each word, to find out if the synopsis and story still has a place in today's world, we find we have a lot to deal with. And that's where the other part of this week's title comes in. Analysis. Analysing a story can be tough because it forces you to answer questions. Sometimes those questions raise more questions and it can become a huge mountain to climb. So analysing this novel's synopsis I hope, 
will help me work out what to do and to discover if it's worth the effort and the energy of rewriting. And even saying it like that frustrates me because every book an author pens should be a book they're proud of. I am proud of it, but I know it can be improved. Also, if I'm hoping to get these questions answered, those answers may well help you if you're going through a similar ex exercise or experiment. For a start, it was originally categorised as an action-adventure, which I believe is a genre that mostly applies to movies, not books. Upon reading the synopsis and the story again, I'm certain the correct genre ought to have been romantic suspense, which is a relatively newish genre that wasn't around when this was first published. Romantic suspense stories have intrigue laced around the core topic of romance. I do recall at the time I didn't want romance written on the cover because I felt it would be dismissed as frilly or frothy, as people often do, even now. That said, I realise I shouldn't have been nearly as worried about what people think about that genre, as it's one of the most sought-after genres and brings in millions each year. Next, I have to answer why I chose the Vice President of the US. This isn't a political novel. I have an affinity with the US and at the time of writing I've been to the United States about four times visiting around 19 states either just passing through or staying for some time. I think I chose the VP because it wasn't the president so it was someone less important but still very high. My lack of experience chose a fictional vice president and progressed downwards to find a wife that fitted the president's role and children that fit my agenda. I feel I ought to have gone with a president, vice president or CEO of a California business instead. One of his adult children, Genevieve, is my leading lady. Rather than allow the reader to see she's spoiled, cynical and self-absorbed, I suspect I told them so they'd know what to expect. Those attributes, however, are far from attractive and I do have Genevieve's character arc coming around to being a nice person in the end. Sorry, spoiler alert. So having her start out as irritating fit my story. I also do have to be careful though that readers didn't immediately dislike her. But if they did and they stayed with the story, they'd see she'd worked out nicely in the end. I also wanted the reader to see why she was spoiled, cynical and self-absorbed. Most of this is shown in the first few pages where we see how her parents treat her and what behaviour she's allowed to get away with. I described Casey, the hero of the story, as sexy, focused and protective. I chose attributes that, again, fit my agenda, but I was also telling the reader what to expect. Whether this is wrong or right, chances are I would still choose the focused and protective part because those have nothing to do with his looks and being sexy is subjective anyway. I find him sexy, so perhaps I ought to have written him and let the reader decide for themselves. Their first meeting did end with tragedy, and their second one also did start with fireworks. Neither of them trusts each other and both have to rely on each other. So I'm left with two characters who progress the story with their strong-willed personalities, two backstories that help shape the characters' futures and current decisions, and several sub-characters who help reinforce the main character's personality traits and help progress the story. I cover topics that I felt were important at the time, and therein lies another issue. Early 2007s, or even late 1990s, had different societal topics trending than they do now. Technology wasn't as advanced as it is now, so while you might find a mobile phone or two included in the story, you won't find a lot of tech that you do now. 
And that said, nowadays, Genevieve would probably have been a social media influencer. So bringing in social media would add tension to the plot, but it would also date the story for future readers. Social media came into existence and evolved pretty quickly, so it can just as easily evolve further and alter again before this book has even been rewritten, let alone republished. I actually began writing the story a few months ago and stopped. It was at this juncture that I questioned a lot of the original story and some of the questionable things I had the characters do or believe. For instance, Genevieve's whole existence was about marrying a man named Glenn. I've not mentioned Glenn because he brings with him a whole host of issues including gun culture and male dominance in society. Now, nowadays, a woman in her mid-twenties is unlikely to have her whole life's goals be marrying a man. I mean, sure, some do, and that's absolutely fine. But even when I was in my twenties, I'm not sure that was my whole reason to live. For Genevieve, though, it felt right. It felt traditional. Now, though, I think she needs something else in addition. So what to do? I ask this question because in altering the mechanics of my story and a bit of the characters, am I changing the story completely? I mean, I could write a completely new story using all of those characters and the idea as well and come up with a completely different novel. Slap on it a new name, you've got another book. And I may well still do that. I mean, you can alter one or two things, but when you alter big things, does the story itself evolve into a completely different story from the original? You often hear people saying they've written a story, submitted it to a publisher and have to alter it to fit current trends. And it probably works. But is the original story still inside there or is it something else entirely? Lastly, the time it takes or can take to rewrite a novel is huge. It's not just months, it can go on longer, dependent on your own headspace and your circumstances. Would that time be better spent writing a different story? Or should I go back and improve the older novel? I don't think it's an easy question to answer because so much of ourselves, our time and everything we've learned about creative writing goes into the creation of a novel. It's a pretty big deal when you think about it, isn't it? I am curious to know your thoughts though, especially now you know so much about the story. Maybe you can help me answer these questions via the Versatile Writer Facebook group. It's a place I created a couple of months ago to further discuss questions I raise on this podcast. It's a safe and friendly environment too. Details will be in today's show notes. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Versatile Writer. This particular episode has taken a few weeks to put together as opposed to the few days they usually take. I generally gather my thoughts, make some notes and go for it. But this one has taken a lot longer. I guess that's because this book means a lot to me and that's reflected in the questions I've raised. I hope you've gotten something from today's episode and I look forward to having you join me next time on The Versatile Writer with me, Sarah Bannum, on the topic of rewriting and analysis.